recording. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode seven of Chat with Kat. Uh, we're here today with Devin Vadichka, a good friend, colleague, and mentor, and I'm excited to have you here, Devin. Thanks for coming. I am so happy to be connecting with you. Thanks for having me on this amazing podcast. <laughs> getting there. It's getting there. Slow and steady wins the race. Um, so I would just love for you to take a minute um, to share a little bit about who you are and how you are here today with me. Okay, well, uh, where to begin? Uh, so I'm Devin, I'm the CEO of Altitude Learning. We support uh, schools and districts that are making the shift to learner-centered education. Been at uh, this organization for almost four years now. And prior to that, I was superintendent of the Vista School District and held a bunch of district uh, and site admin roles, including principal, um, was a teacher in LA Unified, uh, grew up in a small town. Parents are both immigrants. They were both computer teachers. And so my whole life has been education and you know thinking about how we can change the world through learning. Awesome. Love it. All right. So uh, the structure again is just we're going to talk about bright spots. Oh, actually, rewind. The why of the work. Like a lot of people get into education and then they get right back out because it's it's challenging. It, there's policy. There's a lot of bureaucracy. Uh, we don't make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. why, why have you stayed in for all these years? Oh, wow. That's a, a good question. You know, one other thing I forgot to mention is, you know, how I'm connected to you. So just so that people who are listening will will know this. I started working with Katina in 1999 uh, at Jefferson Elementary School in Carlsbad. And we've been, uh, you know, connected in our professional lives ever since in a variety of different ways. And uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm feel like I'm privileged uh, along my journey to have been surrounded by very talented leaders like Katina. Uh, and in terms of the why of the work, uh, I don't think I've ever questioned doing anything else. I, I knew at a really young age that I wanted to be an educator, probably because of my parents, my mom in particular, who was a high school computer teacher. You know, I spent a lot of time in her classroom as a kid seeing what she was was doing and and you know being inspired by her example and uh as a student in school i also remember finding it very rewarding to help my peers and you know be a, a sort of a tutor or you know assistant uh wherever i could be just there's something about learning that it it's uh it's very energizing for me whether it's me as a learner other people as learners and so never really considered doing anything other than continuing on my own learning journey and and trying to share that spark or that passion for learning with others. Yeah, I love that. Um, since we're on the why of the work and you've recently actually published a book, why don't mm -hmm. we go ahead and have you do a little quick plug on that too so that people know. Yeah, so uh, in the spring, uh, published a book called Learner-Centered Leadership. And along the way, in addition to learning, which is something that's a passion of mine. I've always been also attracted to leadership. And that's probably one of the reasons I went into school administration and, and have had a lot of the experiences uh, 
uh, along the way. Um, and I, I enjoy writing, but a lot of people have told me over the years, we would really just love to hear your story and hear what, what's worked for you, what doesn't work, and, and how, how do we really think about leadership in this new context? How do we think about leadership for transformation? How do we think about uh, doing this in an inclusive way that's collaborative and where there's ownership from communities to make the changes that I think a lot of us know uh, need to happen for kids? So learner-centered leadership really focuses on uh, that journey that I've had. Uh, there's a lot about Vista Unified School District where we uh, made a lot of big shifts towards personal learning, uh, experienced a lot of success with it and felt like it was an opportunity to uh, document and share and, and provide some guidance around what worked, what didn't work and you know how we can all move together uh, to, to make these changes that we want to see. Love it, love it. And they can find that book on Amazon, right? Yes, you can find the book on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, and uh, would love your feedback if uh, if you check it out. Love it. There's love a it. great story in that book, by the way, about Katina's uh, first days as principal in Vista. Uh, I won't spoil it here, but uh, check out in the book. There's a there's a section on systems and how they have an impact on culture and behavior and and the learning experiences and so. That's one of the highlights of the book. Highlight for sure. Well, I learned from one of the best. So, all right, let's jump in. So the first thing I'm gonna have you talk about is just some bright spots. You know, you're engaged in a lot of different conversations um, with leaders across the country. And so I'd love to hear maybe personally, what are some things you've had come out of the political, you know, racial <laughs> COVID crazy time we've been living in. And then maybe what are some things that you're also hearing from other colleagues across the country? Yeah, I think the current pandemic has been really challenging and there are so many things that uh, can be overwhelming. The health and life safety challenges, the increasing awareness about our need to uh, be much more active in addressing racial inequality, the fact that we have such a variation in the economic conditions of uh, individuals and families through this pandemic, the K-shape, which is exaggerating pre-existing inequalities that were there, uh, the political unrest. I mean, there's a lot that can just seem very overwhelming. But I think in that context, there's also an opportunity to pause. I mean, for me personally, I was flying all over the country, working directly with schools, uh, and now I've been home for 10 months and you know when you're not on the go all the time it gives you a chance to think and reflect and spend time with family and you know do a lot of things that are important for our own sanity and health and safety and so uh, it, I think it gives us an opportunity to think about what's really important and how do we want to use our time uh, and how can we be contributors to making this world a better place. So I have seen an increase in a willingness of, of uh, people to collaborate and connect, lean into ambiguity, to take on challenging projects. Uh, and I've seen these networks emerging that were sort of latent before the pandemic. And, and it gives me a lot of optimism about what we can achieve collectively to see these collaborative uh, coalitions uh, 
bringing together a lot of the expertise and, and, and possibilities from individuals and uh, thinking about how we can do things better together. Awesome, love it. How about moving into barriers? We, I mean, obviously we know uh, education um, for a long time, there's been lots of different challenges that exist, but uh, even given the, the desire that people have to, to look at things and do things differently, we're still very much challenged with a lot of different things that are out there. So what are some things that stand out in your mind? Yeah, I, I think first and foremost is the need to be safe and healthy and the pandemic has caused a lot of suffering and death and, and the hardship. And, and so that's first and foremost, but, you know, even beyond that, there's our mental health, there are our emotional well-being, there is trauma that, you know, needs to be addressed. So I think the number one priority or the number one barrier challenge is we need to stay safe and healthy in all ways. We need to be well. Uh, and that's a individual responsibility, but it's also a collective responsibility to help one another to, to have the conditions to, to be safe and healthy. So that's one. Second is uh, we need access to one another. And at a time where we have to be socially distanced, what that requires is devices, connectivity, you know, the ability to interact through digital uh, mediums. And there are a lot of people who don't have that. Uh, and, and so you know, feels even more isolating and, and threatens their physical health and well-being even more. So first is safety, second is access. Uh, you know, those, those are fundamental. And then third, in, in an educational context, is we have these, uh, we're familiar with certain practices and certain ways of doing things. And what I've seen as a challenge is we've often tried to replicate those systems and structures and approaches, even though we're not together in, in proximity with one another. And that, you know, there were some challenges even when we were all in proximity with one another and, and replicating those structures in a digital way, you know, having kids like sit in front of a screen for seven hours a day so they can clock seat time is, that is, that's not necessary. Uh, and, and we're doing it out of a sense of, I don't know, comfort, familiarity, obligation, you know, meeting some requirement, but it's, it's not really a, it's not the ideal. So we're challenged in some ways by our own uh, conditioning and, and expectations based on our experiences. And then the last little section is about bridges. So, you know, people have been trying to be create to, to your point, like just taking systems that existed and then replicating them digitally. Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily the best use of our time and energy. Mm -hmm. There's been some great examples of, of how schools have shifted and have really rethought how they can connect with kids and promote more agency. I'd love to hear, you know, again, personally, if you've seen with your own kids or yeah. across, your, across our network, what are some things that have been happening that we need to keep when and if we get to go back to full in-person, full everybody's at school? Yeah. Uh, well, there are a lot of great things that are emerging through this that I hope will endure. Uh, one of them is uh, choice. So for my own uh, 
kids who are school aged, they've they've had the choice to go in person or remote, uh, and that that optionality it was there before, but it didn't seem like as much of a a, a real choice. Now, you know that flexibility exists. Hybrid models also surfacing. You know, some in person, some some at home. Uh, so this idea of choice and flexibility, I hope, will will persist because learners are different. We're all dynamic. We have different situations. Sometimes it may be great to be in a remote setting. Sometimes we really need that in person. And so if we have that full range of options and we we allow our learners to be fluid in sort of going in and out of these different modes, I think that would be amazing. Um, the other thing that uh, I see as a real benefit for my kids is um, the option for more self-paced learning. So quite a few of my son's classes, he's a middle schooler, <clears throat> are using basically a playlist type of model for some of their experience and saying, these are the things that you need to get done as long as they're done by this point in time. We don't really care if you do them all in one day, two days, three days, but you, know, you, you, you can move at your own rate. And that what that also requires him to do is to self-manage because if he waits and saves it all for the end, you know, that creates stress. And so often in education, you know, more like traditional education, we, we have told students what to do, when to do it, how to do it, you know, and, and parsed it out in a way that they have not had to exercise as much of their self-management, self-regulation, haven't provided as many choices. And I would love to see this option for like self-paced, more choice, more, more learner agency. Um, the other thing that I think is really exciting, and this is just because I'm a data nerd, but uh, some of the measures that we've used for a long time, high stakes standardized testing have been impractical. So SAT, for example, or AP tests, it couldn't be done uh, in the ways that we did in the past. And so all of a sudden colleges are saying, well, maybe we don't need to look at SAT tests. Maybe instead of AP tests, we can be looking at portfolios of, of, of uh, you know, what learners have done. So I think it's really opened up the opportunity for us to be thinking about multiple ways to demonstrate what, what learners are capable of. And I hope that that will lead to an expanded view of success that goes beyond this over-reliance on test scores, which tend to focus on you know, reading and math at the exclusion of, of a lot of the other things that are important, collaboration, creativity, curiosity, uh, you know, even science and social studies. There, there are a lot of things that are important in the world that we've underemphasized. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm hopeful that we'll see the self-management, self-paced options uh, for students and ability for, for kids to demonstrate their learning in many different ways and have that count for something meaningful. Uh, on the testing side of things really quick, do you, what have you heard coming out of like state departments or anything around plans for the spring and what, what that's gonna look like? I think this spring is still very much up in the air. Uh, <clears throat> there are some states saying, we still hope that we're gonna do standardized testing, but you know, we, we're not going to use it for accountability. There are other states that have already come out and said, we're just not gonna do it. There are a small number of states that said we are going to use it for accountability and we don't care about the pandemic, you know, this, these things are going to count and there are going to be sanctions. And so it's, it's kind of the whole range uh, at the moment. Uh, 
I think we as educators have a, a, an opportunity and a responsibility to put forward an alternative also. And so this is, I've been doing a lot of writing recently about you know, measures that matter or measuring what matters and how do we think more about competency-based whole child assessments? What are the ways in which we can certify learning uh, in ways that match uh, what's possible with technology now? So again, I'm, I'm hopeful that we will lean into that void, but right now it's, it's pretty unclear exactly how it's going to play out. Awesome. All right. Well, we're, we're getting down to the wire here and almost ready to wrap up, but I, I love for people to learn a, a little fun fact about guests, uh, things that, you know, would surprise or, you know, little, little known th details. So what, what's a fun fact you have for us? Well, a little known fact about me that I take great pride in is that I am actually an international dance champion. And see, Katina's laughing. You, you can't see it on this audio, but she is laughing hysterically because most people would not think that I have any dance capabilities. Uh, and so let me just elaborate a little bit more and say the dance championships that I've won have been doing father-daughter dancing uh, with my daughter. Uh, her dance studios have had these father-daughter dance uh, performances and we have competed and actually won some competitions with international competitors. So for that reason, I feel like I can rightfully claim to be an international dance champion, but the real joy in all that is just spending time with my daughter. And, you know, it's a precious, precious set of memories for me. I love that. That's amazing. All right. Well, you are Jim. I'm so grateful that you took some time. I know you're a busy, busy guy and um, appreciate you sharing your words of wisdom and knowledge. And we'll have to connect again, maybe in a couple months and just see where we're at and what the latest um, work is, because I know people are really wanting to hear positive stories and, and be connected. And I think we have to continue to elevate the hard work that educators are doing because <laughs> what the news displays is not always so positive. Well, I'm looking forward to that. One quick plug is we are doing a project with Educate Texas called the Texas Learning Exchange. And as part of that statewide project, we will soon be publishing uh, case studies and uh, descriptions of new learning models that we see showing great promise, not just in Texas, but across the United States. So uh, be on the lookout for the Texas Learning Exchange website where we'll be posting a lot of those stories uh, in the coming weeks. That's awesome. Yeah, maybe what we can do is a, a update once all of that's in place and, and kind of give people an overview of resources and materials that they can leverage or access for free. Yeah, there are a lot of great people doing wonderful things out there for, for kids and for families and communities and for all of society. And putting a spotlight on, on those bright spots is uh, something that I hope we can all do together to, to be the light moving forward. Love it. Love it. Well, thanks again for uh, joining me and I'll see you on the flip side. All right. Thank you.